0: All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Prep for Impact. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. And uh, today we got a phenomenal guest, Mr. Brian Stern. Uh, He's an Army veteran, a Navy veteran, uh, done several tours across a couple of different governmental organizations and uh, agencies. And uh, today we talk about his sort of maturation, his career, some of the experiences and perspectives that he learned uh, during his time. But also, we talk about his new venture, Project Dynamo, uh, that specializes in rescuing Americans from denied areas, uh, whether that's Afghanistan or uh, Ukraine, Sudan, uh, some of the wildfires in Maui, now Israel. Uh, he's got a really cool perspective of having you know, formatively grown up within the special operations landscape and now being able to use some of those same attributes and, uh, and techniques uh, to help Americans across the world. One of the things that i want to do with this show is to talk to a lot of people with different and diverse backgrounds and kind of listen to how they've become successful so that we can all learn from their perspective and uh, you know use some of their tips and tricks in our own lives to become successful and to prep for our own impact so i think we've done that with this episode i think you're going to really enjoy hearing from brian and i think you're going to really enjoy this episode of prep for impact from the green beret foundation One, two, seven, All stations, all stations. Prep for impact. All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Prep for Impact. As you heard in the intro, we've got a great guest for us today, Brian Stern. Brian, good to see you, man. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: you've been all over the world. I'm glad we, uh, you know, we've we've uh, passed a few times. I'm glad we got a chance to sit down in person and uh in chat so if i'm listening to prefer impact i don't know brian stern i don't know project dynamo give me a little uh you know kind of bio background especially military career kind of before dynamo like what was the formative things from your service that made you want to start something like project dynamo
1: um uh i started off life in the army wound up in the navy yeah. which is kind of weird I uh, uh, started as an infantry guy for like a minute. I mm. don't even claim it, <laughs> um, you know. Including infantry school, you know, my time in the infantry can be measured in you know months, maybe. Uh, I got picked up into Army Intel and became a CI guy, a counter intel guy.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and really fell in love with it. I'm a uh, I'm dual trained. I'm a counter intel guy and a human guy. Yeah. Um. And but I, I am much more of a CI guy than I am of a human than a human guy. Yeah. Um. And uh, the real big difference between CI and human, just as a matter of background, is human intelligence is about the you know, blue forces understanding red forces, right? Mm-hmm. Where are the tanks? Yeah,
0: good guys understanding the bad guys. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's
1: interrogatives. Yeah. It's an yeah. intelligence collection function, is what human is. CI is, is much more threat-based. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a defensive side and an offensive side of counterintelligence, and it's mm-hmm. all about, Getting the enemy to do things or denying them the ability to get things, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I had great mentors along the way that that absolutely formed me as a kid. I'm a pre nine eleven guy, mm-hmm. so um, um, you know all my all my instructors and cadre dudes were all Vietnam dudes and Cold War dudes and real old crusty gray beards that you know they talk about the folded gap and being chased by you know the the you know the KGB and all that stuff. So. Um, I, as a kid growing up in the, in, in CI, I always kind of just as, as we all were, we were all E4s at some point, right. As you know, PFC, Brian Stern, I kind of looked at the old guys as like, ah, old crusties, you know, the newer generation, I'm smarter, faster, quicker. My knees work, you know, yours don't, you know, we start doing tray craft and running routes and doing different things. Yeah. I was kind of pushed back on that. And, um, but it served me so well, 25 years later, those tactics are exactly, exactly what I use today in Dynamo. And I took that through my whole career. So a lot of guys are classically trained. There's a lot of guys like me that are what we call classically trained, where our mentors and our cadre dudes are really old and taught us the old school way. You know, what if batteries die? What do you do? without laptops, what do you do without comms? What do you do? How do you communicate with sources using hand arm signals, which they don't even teach at the schoolhouse mm-hmm. anymore? And I'll tell you, I used that stuff in Ukraine just last year. Yeah. So um so I uh I kind of teetered between the strategic world, uh, which is you know like plain stuff and doing kind of cool things, um, and the tactical world, you know, depending. I worked uh um worked all over the place. I've worked in 68 countries. I've worked everywhere. Um and, for me, I'm a terrible soldier, horrible. <laughs> uh, in PLDC uh, by PLDC standards, I'd be what you call a leadership challenge. Um, and I've, I, I'm not a rebel by any means, but um, but I'm creative, which doesn't always work in the military context. You sure. see it a lot in soft. Mm-hmm. See it a lot in soft. But um, but in the darker side of the intelligence community, very often you're you know one guy, two guys, three guys. You know, small teams doing weird things in weird places without support, without a flagpole. You got a boss who's usually in, you know, might be good, might be bad, 50 50, depending. And right?
0: usually far away. Oh, often yeah. far away. Yeah. Oh,
1: often far away or often um, unplugged in, in, in the dark side of Intel land.
0: Um, Deniability being important and de- just de- all, all, all segmentation. Deni- yeah, yeah, compartmentalization,
1: yeah. authorities. Right. Uh, You know, um, uh, uh, all those different issues that you really don't see in the tactical world are the talk of the town on the strategic side. Right. So, you know, surveilling a target in Kabul where ISAF is there and resources are there and QRF is there and all the things that you have are present. But you don't have that in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. You just don't. And uh, so I did that for a lot of for my whole life, my mm-hmm. whole adult life. I really don't remember a time, honestly, my, my little pea brain, uh, you know, doesn't really remember a time where, where I kind of wasn't in that world. I had this awesome instructor by the name of Mike Wall, uh, awesome dude who passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, he's a CW, retired as a CW4, and then stayed on as a contract instructor dude. And this yeah. guy knew everything about everything. And he always said that true CI guys are born it's innate it's part of your dna you go to the schoolhouse to learn the report format and to refine your skills sure but you are what you are and uh i never really subscribed to that but now as an old guy with gray hair it is it is the god's honest truth yeah. so um i've worked in different agencies um a lot of things we don't talk about
0: yeah i was going to say there's you know uh, and if you've listened to softcast or any of these like there's always going to be things that sure. uh we can we can kind of skirt around right yep. uh what's interesting to me you know we were just uh in episode eight talking to chris robinette who had a similar experience of basically coming from the officer side he was in conventional and was basically like his battalion commander was like all right if you stay any longer like we're either going to kill you or you're going to kill us kind of thing like because he wanted to be creative he wanted to do all these things he wanted to have the latitude to be able to kind of Uh, and basically one of his leaders was like, Hey, there's a place for that. Like go over, go through the Q course, become special operations, like have, uh, you know, and it's not that, you know, sometimes you say things like that and it makes it sound like, Oh, we're just like seat of our pants, whatever. It's, it's the opposite. It's usually by necessity we're out somewhere and it's like, you know, like I always say, if there's already an agreed upon solution, you probably don't need soft there. It's Mm -hmm. you're sending us because. It's like, hey, we don't know what to do over here. Like, it's
1: called special for a reason. Send a couple people over there. <laughs> they'll
0: either fix it or tell us how to fix it, and we'll figure it out, right? And so, uh, I think that's what appeals to a lot of us about special operations. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not to beat your chest and like, oh, I have this tab or this bar or whatever. Like, that's usually for most guys who are good at this stuff. That's yeah. not really the thing. It's they want to be able to, like you did for your career, go out and figure out ways to yeah. make things happen and to engage. Uh, creatively on on problem solving, right? And I think I think it benefits uh, when you get out and you start doing other things, like uh, you know, like Project Dynamo. If you have a career worth of trying to figure out hard and complex problems and not having easy solutions to them. I, it, strangely, I'm at home in this it, environment It helps you later when you start trying to rescue <laughs> yeah. Americans in places where no one else is going. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as you, as you start getting towards the end of your career, right. Cause I want to get to some of the stuff you've been doing recently in sure. Dynamo. As you start getting into that, what was your decision? You know, everybody's got a decision point on like, am I going to keep on doing this? Is it time to do something else? Sure. How did you kind of get to that uh, point?
1: Um, I was in a uh, I was in a really awesome command in uh, in Virginia Beach, and I was um, I was the head of counterintelligence of all the cool things at mm. this really cool place, mm-hmm. and um, it, um, we we were doing really good things, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm like a cockroach. I don't really like attention, you know. Since the, prior to Dynamo, mm-hmm. you know, prior to Dynamo. I I had no online profile, no one knew who I was, none of that stuff. And frankly, that's how I like it. Yeah. That ship has sailed trying to raise money and do don- yeah. donations and stuff. But I, I I was never one of these guys that were like, look at me. I was, I wanted to, you know, again, in CI land. Yeah, I was
0: wh- going to say, it it's incongruent with uh, right? trying to be and, under the radar. Right,
1: <laughs> and my specialty is commercial operations and not a trib and miss a trib op. So. Mm. By default, I never was into that. And we don't have a tab to wear mm-hmm. or a beret to wear or a, or a trident yeah. or a pin, you know, where, you know, um, you see like case officers, you know, you know, regular yeah. straight human case officers are, you know, li- have good language and are really smart. and They're kind of whatever. CI guys, good CI guys are like, you know, foul mouthed mm-hmm. NYPD detectives that, you know, we drink too much. Our marriages are screwed up. Yeah. Our are uh were, we're minor sociopaths sometimes uh all kinds of other issues that that aren't you don't really see as much of that in the regular soft world yeah. so i was at a really cool place and uh um, doing really cool work um but it had gotten a little popular and it, and it was you we're on the top of the world and it, i never wanted to be a boss i never wanted to be a an admiral or a general, or I'm a small unit guy. And honestly, I like to work by myself. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, what do I do? It's a good time to go. There were a lot of challenges happening at this particular, at, at this time, at this place that were frustrating for a lot of people um, that led to all kinds of second and third order effects. Um, things like books and movies and mm. things that I just, uh, you know, why, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it was a good time to leave. Um, it was a good time to leave. I'd done some contract work with some different agencies, and um, as a CI guy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know my, my, my old boss. Um, my old boss is uh, currently the SOC, uh, Admiral Bradley, yeah. who's one of the best leaders I've ever worked with, one of the best bosses I ever had, maybe the best boss I ever had. He's one of the yeah. smartest people I've ever met in my life, and um, and uh, one of the things that he had told me when I worked for him is that if you're not bringing me bad news and problems. I assume you're not doing your job, because a big part of what I do is finding the holes in our armor, finding the the parts of vulnerability, and then mitigating those threats and mitigating those vulnerabilities. Sure. So, um, um, so through that lens, I had done a lot of work with different people, and you have a good reputation. But the reality is, a lot of people don't like CI guys. Yeah, right. We sure. we we're like the uh, we're like we're like one step away from the IG. Like, mm-hmm. we're like, you know. Um, when you go to a bunch of SEALs or a bunch of, you know, SF puppets or whatever, and you say, look, guys,
0: I get- You guys th- are screwing this up. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, like, you know, yeah. last time I checked, you want this to work. And, uh, you know, I get that you can snipe me from, you know, two miles away. That's awesome. But that's not what we're doing here, guys. Right. Uh, we're doing something else. So sometimes those are can be very frustrating conversations. I'm not a SEAL. I'm not a BUDS dropout. Contrary <laughs> to what uh, I didn't go to BUDS and break my leg and find my way into Intel like a lot of guys do. Uh, I, I, I'm a very, very, very proud CI guy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love it. It's my passion. And um, a lot of guys um, look at that kind of odd. Like, yeah. why, why wouldn't you want to go to Bud's? Or why wouldn't you want to go to the Q course? I'm like, I don't know. Carrying a telephone pole sounds like crap to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Cold, a, cold wet, and sandy. Isn't that an, your guys? It's an
0: interesting point, though, because like a lot of times um, we realize how you know there are those people that tried to be whatever and yeah it didn't work out and they become whatever and a lot of them are great and then there are a lot of guys like uh, there's a couple of other enabling sort of jobs that are always in you know again kind of speaking around a few of those things and some of those guys and gals who are like born and bred like that is their they are so valuable right because it's yeah they are fully committed to that and they have no intention of doing any of the other stuff. And that's great. We don't need everybody to yeah. be like one thing. Uh, and it, it's, it's funny when you work more on like a task force and joint level and you start seeing some of the really amazing like parts and pieces we have of the national security apparatus. You know, we need those people to be just as bought in that they're CI as I am as being a green beret or whatever else. And uh, you know, it is funny cause it, like you, as a newer guy, you'd be like, well, why wouldn't you? You know, it's like, hey man, this is me. This is what I do. This is what I get up in the and, morning. This and is what And I'm, I'm happy about yeah, and it. And, and we need it. Hey, everyone. I'm proud to partner with the Green Beret Foundation for Prep for Impact because I've seen firsthand the work they do with Green Berets, their families, caregivers, and survivors. Across all of their pillars of support, they support Green Berets across casualty assistance, health and wellness, Gold Star and surviving family members, and Next Ridgeline transition support. I encourage you to visit GreenBeretFoundation.org for more information. SpecOps Tools is a different breed of tool brand. They produce premium, innovative hand tools by leveraging the dynamic strengths of their veteran team and leadership. In addition to staffing vets, SpecOps gives a part of every sale back to extremely worthy veteran service organizations. Producing elite tools is their business, and supporting American service members is their passion. Go check out SpecOps Tools today.
1: <laughs> I, I used to always say, you know, in Virginia Beach, uh there's two sides to Virginia Beach mm-hmm. that where uh whites off is and blacks yeah, off is. Yeah. And uh, you go to some of the bars and all the girls they know they know what unit you're in based on the watch that you wear. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know, can tell. Right. And I yeah. would you know, I used to always say I don't wanna be part of the big watch club. Yeah. I, I I used to them. I used to get a new watch all the time and I'm like, you know, I could You know, the space shuttle can read the numbers off this thing. I like to wear a, you know, I don't, I don't like batteries. I'm so paranoid about counter, you know, about uh, technical surveillance. I I wear a mechanical watch. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as you, as you make that decision, you jump out, obviously you're not straight into dynamo. You do some other things. But like give me kind yep. of the, uh, so I the stay nascence the, yeah, of, of Dynamo. I,
1: I stay in the reserves. Yeah. So what I do is I stay in the reserves, and um, and I'm still in the reserves even though the Navy is trying to chase me out, which is really stupid. That's a whole thing. Um, really dumb. Um, uh, I stay in the reserves, and then I start I start a couple of businesses and start consulting for some people. And mm-hmm. my specialty is is commercial operations. Mm-hmm. So in the business world, you, you know, there, there, a lot of a lot of guys in government really don't work unless you're in the acquisition world and you're buying and selling military hardware and stuff, but you know your average operator guy, your average case officer, they don't really know business well. They don't deal with that. Well, that was kind of my specialty. Mm-hmm. That's what I was gravitated towards because it was really far away from colonels and generals and mm-hmm. flagpoles. And it was always cooler, I found, and um, more more dangerous because there's no net. So that mm-hmm. sucks. But at the same token, a lot more freedom of maneuver right? The embassy based folks who are, you know, government affiliated who go down and recruit assets, I always looked at those guys with awe. I, I suck. I could never say I'm with the whoever and I'm with I mean, I'm a government guy, whatever I'm saying to people, trust me, be my friend and let me recruit like I, I would struggle with that. Whereas as a business guy, I could say, Well, you know, you have a trucking company, I have things to sell and to move, let us be friends. And now we can do things together. And all kinds of all kinds of beautiful collection operations can happen in area denial stuff. So, um, I so I stayed in the reserves. Was also in business helping out high net worth people, businesses with their problems on a very global scale. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then I would jump in and out doing tours and stuff. And there's not a lot of guys, um, not a lot of guys that know how to do commercial well. There's not a lot of guys. Um, they just, you know, they, they, you don't learn this stuff at BUDS, the Q yeah, course, yeah, sure. right? You know, mm-hmm. um, even in the Dynamo context where, you know, we charter airplanes and fly them into all kinds of crazy places. And a lot of guys are like, oh, well, you know, I've got 15 deployments to Afghanistan and I killed 10,000 Taliban dudes. Well, that's awesome, bro. You know, I've chartered 300 planes in my career, mm-hmm. something like that. All, all kinds of weird stuff, logistics stuff, all kinds of weird yeah. programs. So. All, the, all that led to, uh, I was the J2X of Soxcent under uh, General Nagata yeah. during the, uh, the rise of ISIS and the fall of Yemen. Job security for lots of people. You're welcome, everyone who's mm-hmm. listening. Um, um, uh, I worked at, um, I did some tours at some different agencies, and I got really into this thing called NAR, mm-hmm. uh, Non-Conventional Assisted Recovery. Mm-hmm. The textbook model of NAR is like a down pilot in the middle of Iran. Yep. And, um, you know, what do you do? Right, what do you do? You can't send a trap team, you can't send JSOC, you can't send this, planes can't get in, helicopters can't get in. What do you do? Mm -hmm. And it's either die in place or pray that there's a network there. Mm -hmm. And all NAR really is is clandestine human and physical infrastructure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The methods that NAR guys use look a lot like look a lot like human. Mm
0: -hmm. But a
1: good NAR asset actually has no foreign intelligence. Benefit whatsoever. Right. If he's a taxi driver who's responsive to communications, and I can teach him, train him, mold him, pro- you know, if he gets some intel, that's awesome. But what I need him to do is make contact with the down pilot or the asset that's on the run or whatever it is.
0: And the less he's poking around other things, the less suspicion Correct. he is. So the longer he's the a more good benign, asset, yeah, the more
1: benign yeah. and normal,
0: you know, sure. normal,
1: normal, benign stuff. So handling those kinds of guys in a non-attributable way, hiding the hand of the government right? We don't want them to know exactly. They know a little bit depending on yeah. where they are in the movie, but, um, uh, but I got really, really, and it's really hard. I, I earned my bones doing underground, well, working, uh, underground facilities, which is the hardest target
0: mm-hmm. ever,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, trying to characterize and understand the construction of a, you know, Iranian nuclear command and control right. center in the middle of a mountain somewhere, those kinds of problems that is not talking to Booger Eater number six on, on downtown Kandahar. The hard the hard targets. And that's kind of where I earned my bones in this space. And it's all business. Yeah. So I would target construction companies. Yeah. I would target uh, all kinds of industry people yeah. to be able to understand the what's inside the mountain or whatever it may be. Fast forward from a NAR perspective, it's kind of the same idea. It's all business. It's all... You know, husbandry agents, uh, port pilot, uh, 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 tugboat captains, and taxi drivers, and all kinds of weird things. Warehouses, all kinds of things that need to look and smell and act exactly how they're supposed to look, act, and smell, mm-hmm. until it's time to use it.
0: Yeah.
1: And those things have to sit there and bake for years, mm-hmm. and they have to be managed. They got to be. You know, how do you how do you pay for that? How do you create business for a warehouse? Right. And that warehouse needs to be where I want it to be, not where they want it to be, mm-hmm. based on planning. Right. So um, I became a real big NAR guy. and one of the few guys that have actually done NAR for real. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are called to do it. It's a whole different schoolhouse thing. Yeah. But uh, one of the few guys have actually done NAR for real, mm-hmm. uh, live operations, which is essentially what Dynamo ultimately became. Mm-hmm. We're a denied area rescue organization. So yeah. we work where no one else can get to. Well, that's... Sounds a lot like NAR. The difference is is I don't got $30 billion, $40 billion of congressionally approved funding behind me. So it's a little bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, and so, you know, that is one of the things that, like, as I started hearing about what you guys were doing, it was very interesting because, obviously, during the fall of Afghanistan, a ton of different people, like everyone, I won't say everyone, but a lot of us Mm -hmm. were very... uh, Emotional. Emotionally... Punched in the gut by that. Yep. Right. And action guys are going to look for ways to, yep, to action and help fix. Right. Yeah. And so we, you know, collectively as a community felt like we get punched in the gut pretty hard or kicked in the nuts, whichever way you want to put it, probably both. And uh, so guys and gals started springing into action and figuring out how to, you know, talk to people that were there that needed to get out. Yep. What was interesting from y'all's perspective and you running is because of your background like there really you couldn't punch out a better kind of background to then take into this. Right. And so from your perspective as the fall of Afghanistan or I shouldn't say the fall of the pullout of Afghanistan, and then ultimately, yeah, you know, the other side of it, what makes you, and how did you get started with dynamo? Tell me kind of that yeah. birth story.
1: So, um, in, uh, in summer, 2001, I was getting out of the army was going to school at night and I had done a drug deal to uh, work in New York. Uh it's a long story, but I'm a 9-11 first responder. Right. I was in both collapses. Yeah. Nobody was in two collapses. In the 9-11 community, which is very tight-knit. We all know each other, all the firefighters and it's a very tight-knit community. We're called two time losers. Mm-hmm. There's about there's about a hundred guys of everybody civilians, mm-hmm. firemen, mm-hmm. whoever about a hundred people that were in both collapses on mm-hmm. uh, one of the hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, for perspective, when Tower 2 got hit, I was standing in between the exit hole of the second plane. All that crap literally fell on top of me, mm-hmm. right? So to give you an idea of proximity. Yeah. Fast but- forward, 20, 19 years and 11 months, mm-hmm. August 2021, where I was preparing for the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I've given a couple of speeches and keynotes and stuff by now, you know, it's been 20 years and a lot of guys got out, uh, I stayed in, so you know, I got just full of ribbons and all that stuff, so you know, throw on the throw in the pickle suit and do the thing, right? right? Yeah. I was in my living room um here in Tampa mm-hmm. and I'm working on my speech, which is a very emotional thing for me, right? Every day I live every day like it's September 12th. Right. I should have been dead not once but twice, mm-hmm. right? Before everybody started getting shot at and all the other cool things. Um, So I take it very, you know, it's it's a very uh, big deal in my life every day. in my living room right try it with and i'm already very emotional about the 9 11 stuff so i'm working on my talking points and um breaking news and it's a c17 at kaya and i'm watching people fall from the landing gear Mm -hmm. and um i blew a gasket is what happened i mean i'm not really uh, ashamed of it i went beyond bananas and i said what planet am i on i'm literally working on my speech about people jumping on top of me on the morning of 9 11 20 years ago the taliban are back in charge people are jumping to their deaths i haven't seen this in 20 years it screwed me up then it screws me up now i don't really have ptsd it's normal to be kind of shocked by that image
0: yeah
1: i don't think that makes me a weirdo and i was like screw this screw this i'm not i'm not gonna watch this crap on tv I have a lot of friends in Northern Afghanistan. I have a lot of friends all over Afghanistan. An old asset of mine had reached out. Uh, I handled him when he was a major. Now he's like a two star in the Afghan Air Force. We make comms, we come up with a very loose plan. And he says, basically, look, I have a bunch of aircraft. I'm loyal to you, my men are loyal to me. We're gonna load our people onto these aircraft and meet me in Termez, Mm -hmm. which is where Friendship Bridge is in Uzbekistan. Mm -hmm. Meet me there. And we'll get back to work. And I was like, okay, <laughs> game on. So I called a bunch of friends. This is, uh, you know, second week or third week of August. And all of us, all of us are in all these signal rooms. Everyone's trying to help. Everyone's trying to do things. And it was very new. And this whole digital underground, you know, they called it digital Dunkirk. Right. The, this whole movement was yeah. all... Everyone's trying to figure it out. Lots of people who are completely full of crap are, are involved in these rooms. Some yeah. really good dudes are involved. It's a mess. Yeah. But I was like, this is what we're going to do. I call my friends. Okay, I'm like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get the band back together. Mm-hmm. Get my crew. We're going to pack our crap. We're going to do what we do best. We're going to get as close to the problem as we can possibly get. Break some China. Do the right thing. And I pitched them. I said, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, Uh, I told them two things. No matter what happens, I got to be back by September 11th. I'm giving a speech in New York. (laughs) This whole thing is over in two and a half weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that was two years ago. (laughs) Fail. Fail on the good, bad matrix. Uh, Not so much. And the other thing I told my guys, and we had a very deliberate conversation about it, we had talked about who are we going to rescue. At the time, it was all about interpreters and judges and commandos and their families and all that stuff. We had a very deliberate conversation about Americans.
0: Yeah.
1: And my response was, "That's not for us." Mm-hmm. I've worked in all the units that rescue Americans on the on the uh, throughout the intelligence community and throughout the DoD community, all the cool places that do cool things. I've worked with or for mm-hmm. all these places. That's not for us. Mm-hmm. That's them. That's them. Because why would we? Right. They get resource for this. Guys wake up every single day. I was on a beeper for right. five years yeah. for this crap. Right? So that's not for us. 25 years in the intelligence business, I have never been that wrong on a call before in my life. I, w- I made a decision as the boss and said, we are not gonna do this. I didn't want American PII in our database. I mm-hmm. didn't want phone numbers and emails and passports and social security numbers and all that stuff. I didn't want American, you know, an Afghan interpreter is one thing. Yeah. An American citizen, I, I just, I'm not, we don't need to do that. We launch forward, we jump the border, start doing things. A little complicated there, we won't get into all that. But uh, we get to Uzbekistan, we're on the border doing things and uh, working. And at that moment, we were playing the same game that everybody was playing. Get people to Kaya, right? right? Do the Mm -hmm. challenge password thing, a visual cue, an audio cue, you know, whatever it is. Get people to Kaya, run buses, run this, run that. We have networks all over the place. We've only been there for 20 years, so we have a lot of friends. Secretary of State Blinken gets on TV with uh, Secretary of Defense General Austin and they announce the last American boots on ground will be August 30th. As soon as they said that, we did a hold. I get everyone on on, on signal. I'm like, we got to do a hold. And they go, why? I go, this party first, now we're now we're deep in and we realize that it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Things are not going well. And I go, this party first starts September first. Mm-hmm. That's when this becomes hard. Anyone can do challenge and password to Kaya, to the gate, all the different, you know, depending on who you knew and which gate you had access to. Anyone can get to Lance Corporal Snuffy, do a challenge and password while the C-17s are there and while the Marines are there and while the Army is there and JSOC and whoever else. Once all that stuff leaves, that's when this becomes hard. So we took a knee, uh, did a compass check, and we had some very deep conversations about now what? And now what hadn't happened yet? It would but we knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I was like, we have we have two, three days after the after the first, right? For some stragglers, the JsOC bubbles or whoever agency, whoever it's gonna be, they'll be there for another two, three days, maybe as some as some stay behind stuff. But by September third, fourth, this is gonna be a whole different animal. And clearly they're leaving people behind. Clearly, it's obvious. right around that moment, uh, right around that moment is when we started really looking at who's registering with us on our on our database and we start seeing lots of americans
0: most tool companies try to be everything to everyone but the result is just okay that is why spec Ops tools focuses on two main goals designing and building the best hand tools available and supporting veterans in every capacity they can You can have the most elite hand tools while doing good for veterans nationwide with Spec Ops Tools. Check them out today at specopstools.com. So unfortunately within the Special Forces community, suicide has become an epidemic. And suicide prevention is something that we all want to take part in. And it's not just clicking through some slides uh, on a suicide prevention brief. The Greenberry Foundation stood up Andy's Fund directly to try to address some of the underlying concerns like chronic pain, TBI, PTSD, that previously weren't supported in suicide prevention programs. To learn more, please visit GreenberryFoundation.org slash Andy's Fund.
1: We were funneling stuff to state, saying, hey guys, I don't know, you know, they had this thing called CARE, um, which are good guys. I mean, people, people dump on them all the time. They have a very hard job. Your average State Department guy does not want to screw things up. They're right. as patriotic as all of us, but the policies and the bureaucracy and all the stupid government stuff gets in their way. Rarely can I say that I've met a State Department guy that I thought was working against us, right. happened, yeah. but you know they get a bad rap. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how we started. That was really, the, that was the true beginning of Dynamo as it became to be is what do we do when there's no government presence? When mm-hmm. the government isn't there, for Americans, like now, what? Yeah, and um, that—that's really like we were like mm-hmm. everybody else in the beginning, yeah. but we kind of um, our claws came out, my fangs came out, and I got really, really, really excited um, with that side of it. And yeah. we're we're still pulling Americans out of Afghanistan still two years yeah. later.
0: I, you know, from the outside, um, you know, before we really, uh, you know, started talking and all that stuff. What I saw from you guys from that was, you know, like you said, everybody surged on that thing initially, right? And one of the things that was very interesting about Dynamo was it wasn't like, okay, we got as many as we could, all right, shutter the doors, we're back in it. Like you guys had enduring commitment to that, and then started going into other places, doing either disaster recovery, uh, you know, somebody gets hit with a hurricane or you know wildfire now in in Maui uh ukraine all these things and it started being the opposite of what you had initially said like we don't need to touch americans now it's like we are rescuing americans like Correct. that's what we're doing right and uh and you know you guys have been able to keep that as a very um central easy to follow mission statement yeah. and start doing that in different places in my opinion very well like it there wasn't a like oh why are they doing this over here now it was like Totally made sense. Like, hey, we are a, a-
1: embassy closes. Americans are stuck.
0: We are. We're on our way. <laughs> yeah, we're a denied area recovery. Whether that's denial from enemy forces, whether that's denial from some sort of a national natural disaster, whatever it is, we're here to rescue Americans uh, from denied territory. People that want to get out and can't get out. Correct. Right? And so, I know you guys from Afghanistan also did, as I mentioned. Uh, there was some recovery operations here, hurricane-wise mm-hmm. in Florida. I know also Ukraine. Maui, now Israel, as you started like house tipping for lack of a better term, like now you're starting to just hit from like how did you see the maturation of the organization when it came sure. from hey, we're doing Afghanistan and now it's like there's Americans other places we're going to yeah. go get them too?
1: So, um, Ukraine, Ukraine as a problem set is where, uh, I would argue, you know, we've, we've kind of um expanded, we haven't pivoted. Mm-hmm. St- we still are doing things in Afghanistan two years later. Mm-hmm. Still doing things in Ukraine almost two years later. Um, Sudan is kind of atrophied because everyone that could get out yep. either got out through us or other means. Um, but but Ukraine in particular was where Dynamo really earned its money. Mm. Where um, we've broken Americans out of captivity from Russia. No one. No one has gone into the CIA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one in the history of of agency um, no one has gone into Russia and taken Americans from Russian control mm-hmm. uh, without giving up, you know, yeah, yeah. an arms dealer or right. money or Some tractors other, or yeah. something. I wish I had $6 billion to give, <laughs> you know, our annual budget is like a rounding error of <laughs> lug nut grease at the JSOC motor pool, you know? Um, so, uh, um, but Ukraine, because it was Russia um, and were. You know, I'm a strategic CI guy. I worked In Afghanistan, I worked against Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these are, you know, th- this is prime time for me. Prime time. He, in my deployments to Afghanistan, I never got into the whole, like, whack-a-mole Taliban thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought strategically, it was, you know, I, I had never really bought into it. And I always thought that the way we were doing it wasn't really great. And I always looked at other... um strategic targets in Afghanistan. When I was a task force commander in Afghanistan for this stuff and, you know, and fast forward, you know, it turns out we were all right because the Taliban, you know, all that national treasure and blood and sweat and money,
0: yeah,
1: um, Taliban are back in charge. Right? So mm-hmm. um, when Ukraine happened, we had a donor who came to us and it was uh, January, The uh, it was January, the buildup, Russia started doing the buildup. We had just come back from Kabul. And again, that's a different thing uh, with Dynamo is, you know, I have an Afghan visa, in my passport as I talk to you, mm-hmm. right? We actually go.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: are, um, I, th- in December, 2021, I stole a stack of Taliban flags from the airport mm-hmm. and we're auctioning them off at our gala next week. <laughs> um, so we had this donor who was like, look, I don't know any Afghans. I don't really care about Afghanistan. I'm not military at all. I gave you guys money because I thought you guys were doing the right thing for America and you guys Mm -hmm. seem good and legit and all those other things. But honestly, I could really care less about Afghanistan, frankly. He says, but I almost got married to a Ukrainian chick. I had a bunch of businesses in Kiev, in Ukraine. Is Dynamo going to Ukraine? Mm -hmm. And I pushed back and I said, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm trying to get back to real life. This is January. We've been doing this since August. It was supposed to be until September. So I'm five months late in mm-hmm. coming back to real life. Uh, my civilian business has completely been destroyed. I'm all into this thing. So I'm having a really good time, a lot of fun. I love Dynamo, best work I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Having a lot of fun. I, we don't need to go to Ukraine. Right. I mean, honestly, we just don't, yeah. right? Embassy, uh, but he says, if well, if you consider going, um, I'll fund it. I'll fund the prep, all the OPE stuff, mm. right? All the yeah. All the prep stuff. So I go, uh, I go. Uh, well, I don't know. So I go back and I go and have a couple of drinks with some friends. We have a cigar here in Tampa. And it occurs to me, we were really successful in Afghanistan at the end of a dumpster fire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How cool would it be? Because the invasion is going to happen. I know right. Russia like the back of my hand. And I know Putin like the back of my hand. And I really know the GRU and the FSB better than most. This is going to happen. But the war hasn't started yet. Mm. Imagine... If we can build our networks before a single shot is fired sure so we sat down and we wargamed we did some strategy and some planning and we're like let's try it out so we go dynamo goes to ukraine january right after right after new year's yeah the war didn't start until late February, february 24th so we had six seven weeks ahead of this problems, all the places that you see on TV that are getting hit and bad and whatever, we went to all these places knowing they were all gonna be targets. And we built a tremendous amount of commercial infrastructure, Mm. people and businesses and things and sources and all kinds of things exactly where we thought the enemy would go. February 24th happens, we were there already, Mm. right? Um, everything is set up and we're just waiting like everybody else. The whole world is waiting. Is this going to happen? Is it a bluff? Is it not? February 24th, around five o'clock in the morning, my hotel, my hotel I'm in shakes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're on with a text message, one text message. We illuminate the whole network. Mm-hmm. I had sprinter vans pre-staged. We had already pre-identified Americans in Kiev. No one knew what the war would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knew? Was right. you know what? Were, no one knew, right? We have the benefit of hindsight, so we didn't know. Are they going to be doing strafing runs with bombers? I mean, no one really knew. So we had pre-identified a bunch of Americans in Kiev. We had pre-identified rally points in underground the subways in Kiev are designed to withstand nuclear blasts, mm-hmm. so that's very good for us. We had everything all lined up, and we just had to sit and wait. Game day, you know, H you know D day, H hour happens. A text message, my my vehicles come swooping up. They grab me up. My case managers are already in contact with the Americans. They go to their assigned rally points. We swoop them up and we do the first rescue of Americans in a war zone against a great power ever in 58 minutes from the first missiles landing. Mm-hmm. That is better than the Tampa Fire Department. Yeah. Right. And then we are on. The only people that were in the whole country, the embassy had long gone. They left five weeks earlier. They're long gone. And we start doing all kinds of things. We did uh, 68 American babies that got stuck. Mm-hmm. We did um, um, all kinds of... We have hundreds of these stories. What Where we get really excited is with Americans that had gotten rolled that got stuck in the occupied areas. Mm-hmm. So the Russians come in, they establish a front line, and it's nasty, but there's a bunch of Americans that are on the other side of that front line, beyond the FIBA. Mm-hmm. Well just so happens that's where all of my network is. Mm-hmm. So we have a place from a, from a you know, in, in Intel land, we say placement and access and soft yeah. land and yeah. Ace, you know, in yeah. soft land, they say access and placement, yeah. dyslexic. <laughs> um, but from a placement and access perspective, we have placement and access that is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Every MSR we have covered, every major checkpoint we have covered. I have eyes and ears all over, exactly where a really good G-Force and clan network should be is exactly where it should be mm. against a great power competition strategic threat called Russia, yeah. right? So that's not the Taliban and flip-flops. Mm-hmm. These are, they yeah. have tools. They, yeah. got, they got big tools and they don't have a lot of rules either. So there's problem stuff. So we started doing things in Russian occupied territory. We broke, uh, we've broken guys out of jail uh, the first American victim of war crimes, alive since World War II, was uh, charged with 11 counts of espionage. He's a good friend of mine from Detroit, a young kid, 28 years old. Uh, married a Ukrainian Czech, and was living life. He gets rolled because he's an American. He gets tortured because he's an American. Mock executions, the whole bit. All the bad things. Mm-hmm. We broke him out of jail. Today, the Russians don't even know how we did it.
0: Mm.
1: And what's funny is, is we film everything. We even... To rub their nose and to rub their nose in it, we even disclosed some of that video and said, uh, "Jokes on you guys." Mm. We went through fifty-one Russian checkpoints, and he didn't have a single piece of paper. He today, he's an escaped fugitive from Russian justice. Mm. Today, yeah. he he wasn't released. We stole him, and from there, the Russians start calling. Uh, they start calling me Amerikansky Valshavnik, which was which is um, the American magician, mm. because they, you know, imagine you have a guy in isolation right. in Tampa you know, held by at the jail and you go to bring them a cup of coffee and it's empty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're going to pull cameras. Yeah. Well, imagine if you didn't see anything and that is very much how dynamo works with these cases. It's not tactical. Mm-hmm. It's oceans 11. It's not black Hawk down. Right. Right. It's not uh body armor and all that other stuff. Yeah. We have, uh, we did a case for an American uh, nuclear scientist by the name of John Spore who, um, Worked on small programs like the B-2, the F-35, you know, small, mm-hmm. right? Apache, Abrams, yeah. right? Small yeah. small ones. He designs laser guidance systems for the United States. Mm-hmm. There's a over 100-man task force in Mariupol looking for this guy. Chechens, GRU, FSB. I mean, everyone's looking for him. He was a really big fish. They were never going to kill him,
0: yeah. but they wanted him. They wanted his, no- yeah, yeah. Right? They wanted uh, everything that was in his head, yeah.
1: We... Ultimately, flipped a GRU asset. We false flagged a GRU asset who really thought he was taking taskings from the mothership, mm-hmm. but really it was us. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things in government would would never be approved. Right. If you wrote that kind of up, like,
0: yeah. all right, sir, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I get that you're a colonel and you want to get your star. This this is what we're going to do. Right. Right. He would say, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way but at Dynamo where we work there's no US government presence Yeah. so there is no ambassador to say I don't think so there is no chief of station to say well let's talk to liaison there's no there's no colonel trying to become a general all those issues that are yeah. valid I'm not yeah. pooping on it but that doesn't exist where, where I work where I work there's no one there mm-hmm. just it's just us and the bad guys so it gives us a freedom of maneuver um that Um, is allows us to do things that, um, um, are hard to do. The catches, there's no help.
0: Yeah. Prep for impact is proudly brought to you by the Green Beret Foundation. The Green Beret Foundation offers emergency, immediate, and ongoing support to all generations of U.S. Army Special Forces soldiers, their families, caregivers, and survivors. The Foundation provides direct support and advocacy to over 3,000 families each year. The Green Beret Foundation is here to assist you whenever you need them. Learn more at GreenBeretFoundation.org. Hey, everyone. Life is full of transitions, and one of the toughest transitions for our Special Forces soldiers and their families is the transition from active duty to civilian life. The Green Beret Foundation's Next Ridgeline Transition Support exists to help Green Berets and their families navigate the VA disability claims process and more. For more information, visit greenberetfoundation.org slash transition support. And as I mentioned, I mean, you guys have been very active in multiple different places. And obviously, we'll have all of your uh, socials and and website and everything uh, in the show notes. But obviously, if you've heard us talking about Project Dynamo, you Google it, you'll find a ton of stuff. And you guys have done a really good job of capturing a lot of that stuff on media that's, that's easily consumable where you can kind of get, hey, all right, I see what you guys have been doing in all these different places. You know, part of the... Part of the point of this show is to get inside the heads of people that have been successful in, in crazy kind of careers like you have, right? And so I don't have time for all four of our, like, kind of prep for impact four questions, but I want to hit with one of them because we got about 10 minutes left. Sure. And I want you to think about, you know, for me, one of the coolest uh, realizations as you mature is there are points in your life where you look back and you're like, I would never, ever, ever want to go through that again, but I'm thankful that I did because it made me who I am and it made me successful and things like that. And I'm curious when you look back at your life, there's so many, you know, I can think of 10 of them in my own, but what pops into your mind is something that you're like, man, don't want to be on a time machine back there, but I wouldn't give it up for the world because it was so formative to who I am now and and how I'm successful.
1: Uh, I got a lot. (laughs) Uh, I
0: had a, I was not a, uh,
1: I was in trouble more often than I was not in trouble in my career. Uh, sure. If any of my bosses are listening, I apologize. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Thank you for you know, not sending me to jail. Uh, um, I, I, um, when I, uh, I got recruited into a command in Virginia Beach and um, there's a really deliberate uh, screening process. Sure. And this is a time, this is many years ago, where you couldn't really apply like you could, if you're a SEAL, you could probably apply. I'm not a SEAL, so I wouldn't know, but I got an email on Cipranet, hey, would you consider this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, a really, really, really good friend of mine um, by the name of Mark, uh, was already there. Mm-hmm. And I come to this, uh, you know, to screening like like all these other screening mm-hmm. interview things. And, um, and uh, number one, I thought I got crushed, right? <laughs> I mean, they're asking me questions that are just, you know, impossible.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you know, quadratic equations wrapped in a crossword puzzle type <laughs> question, like you know. And I had been around a lot of these. I'd been around this unit before. I'd been around these different things, but I had never. I was always like detailed over, or lent over, or one of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, we were in the parking lot after a few days of this stuff, and um, and he says, "So what do you think?" And I go, "Well, what do you think?" <laughs> I mean. You know what? What do you think? And um, he says, "You know, look, it's a great opportunity for you." And he's a CI guy, mm-hmm. so he knows. Yeah. You know, he's one of me. And he says, uh, "Look, it's a great opportunity. It's going to be awesome. I mean, you're going to be able to do things and see things and do ops that you never would have been able to do before. And you know, really cool. And you know, there's the whole the whole Big Watch Club thing, and you know, all those things." And I was like, "Well, you know, it's a little intimidating. I got to tell you. You know what I mean? I'm I'm, you know, this is a, a whole nother thing and the mission of this place is a little bit different and the place that I'm going I don't quite understand so I'm signing up for a thing that I really don't get it's it's kind of like uh you know the long walk walk mm-hmm. until you walk until we tell you to stop sure. is that a mile or ten you know yeah um so it, it's intimidating right mm-hmm. and but I agree to it right it's Virginia Beach I'm living in Northern Virginia doing things up there with some people um But but definitely, it was one of those moments in life of you know do I do I drink from the poison chalice, Mm -hmm. or do I take the pill like Alice in Wonderland and see where how deep the hole is, Mm -hmm. and uh, the way he pitched it was he's like look man you're gonna grow and develop more than you can possibly imagine, yeah, and that's what sold me made sense. Mm -hmm. Okay fine I PCS down and I move and do all the things and now I'm there. I show up to work. I show my first day and I got my sponsor. You know, my sponsor meets me at Visitor Control, mm-hmm. and I'm the new guy, and I'm excited, right? Because it's sure. co- it's cool stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: I walk in, I talk to my new boss, and uh, his first words were, "We've never had anybody like you before. We don't have a single CI guy here. Mm. The command has a CI, has this whole CI shop, but you're the first one that's part of a squadron. Mm. We don't know how to use you. I don't know what you do, so you need to build a program." And it occurs to me, my buddy Mark screwed me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to develop anything. Actually, <laughs> I've been thrown to the wolves. Yeah, we had uh, uh, we had 14 e9s at the time or something like that. That's, sp-
0: yeah, that's a good 13 too many. Yeah, right,
1: <laughs> uh, guys that would wear you know medals that I would wear to bed. You know, I mean, everyone is just over-the-top rock star dudes. And I go from slightly intimidated to peeing down my leg. Yeah. Going, holy, like, number one, I've never built a CI program in my life. I've never, I don't even know what this place does. Like, where do I be? Like, more so overwhelmingly, um, not scary, but like,
0: yeah. yeah I, Overwhelming. Yeah. I,
1: well, I, I thought yeah. I'd fall in on a platoon-sized element of CI guys, and there'd be right. a couple of old crusties and a couple right. of you know mid-level guys, and I'd be the new guy, and I'd go to, you know, whatever, and like anything else. Sure. You know, if you're a junior sniper, you fought you go into the sniper yeah. cell, you're with a bunch of old snipers, and they teach you how to shoot better and all those things. Yeah, thrown to the wolves. And on top of that, the billet was created as a result of the command CI guys not knowing not being able to do the work that needed to be done at the squadron level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my colleagues don't like me. Mm-hmm. The guys I'm with don't know me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a SEAL, you know. So, I mean, just, I'm in a mm-hmm. shark tank mm-hmm. environment and we're doing real ops, doing real nasty, nasty, nasty stuff. Very high level stuff, SECDF and above level authorities and stuff. I mean, real big boy, yeah. Uh, ugly. you know, Afghanistan was our lowest line of operation type thing. So, um, I would never, ever, ever want to repeat that time ever again, because it sucked. But at the same token, um, it, it um, taught me so many lessons. I made a lot of mistakes, pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people out there want to cut my throat for sure. But uh, I definitely wouldn't want to repeat it, but also, um, but it was also one of the highlights of my career too, being, yeah. being in this unit and doing cool things and, you know, um, had a broke a lot of China, pissed a lot of people off. I mean, it was it was it was not pretty.
0: But that maturation, you know, that's one of those things. And like to me, when I hear that story, it's like if I'm listening, A, it's a testament to like, don't be afraid to try, right? Because like you wouldn't have had any of that experience if you had said, like, hey, it's such an unknown, let me get out of here. And then don't be afraid to stick it out and do something that is super intimidating. Cause at that point, you probably could have found a way out of there. If oh yeah. you really wanted to, right? Yeah. You could have been like, yay, you know, but whatever. There's a lot of ways out of places like that because they're very selective, right? Um, but you didn't, and you stayed, you stuck it through. You got a lot of um, a lot of the the development that you thought you were going to get from somewhere else. You got it on the job, yeah. right? But I I'm sure that that played a huge role in being able to successfully stand up things like Project Dynamo later. Because you know, until you've tried to build something that people don't want built or is not funded and all those things, it, you don't have that experience yet, right? And then once you do it a few times, it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is tough. I'll but survive. There's some of these things that I can learn from and use in the next one, right? And so, very interesting. And you know, I know that you guys, like I said, you guys have got ongoing things. I know you just got back from Israel. Uh, you know, we're we're out of time, but if somebody wants to check it out what you're doing, what you've done recently, what you guys have done in the past, what's the best way for them to Uh, check it out?
1: We tell everyone, go to projectdynamo.org. We are entirely donor funded, Mm -hmm. entirely donor funded. We've done 602 missions in 25 months. That turns into 6,800 people that we've rescued over six war zone deployments. uh, If you count Maui, which is a war zone too. Um, But projectdynamo.org is the best way to ask for help. So if you know someone who's stuck in a crappy place that no one's coming to get them, call us, we'll take care of it. That's also where people can go to donate. And then we do a lot of stuff with social media. Uh, yeah. We put a lot of stuff out to raise awareness, to p- get people to help us and donate and partner. We're looking for corporate sponsors and all those things. And um, and we also use it as a platform to punch the bad guys in the face. We're, sure. we're not a granola, you know, vegan you know, that's not us. We're, we're kind of Neanderthals at Dynamo and we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we may be fat, but we're also mean, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, I tell you, I I appreciate you coming in. We've had a chance to talk several times in in different forums and uh, it's always very interesting to me, right? There are a lot of noble pursuits, but going and getting Americans is one of the, the, you know, like I said, there's, it's a very clean mission statement, right? Like, Hey, if, if there are Americans that want to get out somewhere and they can't, we're there to help them. And so, uh, you know, thanks for coming in. Thanks for giving our listeners a little peek of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll chat again in the future at some point, and get some more updates. But thanks for coming in, Brian.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: No, absolutely. And everyone out there, thanks for listening to Prep for Impact. Uh, if you want to check us out, you know the socials are underneath uh, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, Do us a favor, rate, review, subscribe, send it to somebody else. And, uh, you know, if you have any kind of feedback, you can either hit us up uh, on Instagram or prepforimpactpod at gmail.com. Check out our sponsors, SpecOp Tools and the Green Beret Foundation on their social media and on their websites. And uh, on behalf of all of us, thanks for listening to another episode of Prep for Impact. Thanks for listening to another episode of Prep for Impact. Just as a reminder, everything you heard on this episode and every episode of Prep for Impact are just the opinions of the speakers, whether that's the host or the guest, and they're not the official position of either the Green Beret Foundation, their employers, the Department of Defense, or anyone else. And with that disclaimer in mind, I wanna take a quick second to give you my opinion on the best way to prep for impact. Across my life, whether it's as a Green Beret or personally, I found no more secret weapon than to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Savior, and to walk his path rather than mine. And so if you're curious about that, or if you ever want to talk, my DMs are always open. Thanks for listening to Prep for Impact.